This is Infants on Thrones. The philosophies of men mingled with humor. We are the core. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Ostland, and today, Tom and Randy and I sit down with Christian Braithwaite, the second place winner from our last listener essay contest. Now, Christian recorded the essay titled, An Open Letter to Mormonism, and it was over an hour long. Yeah, I know. So, we talk with Christian today about his essay, and we go on some tangents about death. We speak to Christian's wife, Cassandra, about her experience as Christian has left the Mormon Church, and so much more. And we start with a discussion that Tom initiated regarding his reaction to Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson's infamous podcast episode about the definition of truth, which we're going to discuss in more detail in an upcoming episode. But we started it today, and all this and more on today's episode of Infants on Thrones. And it all starts right now. Well, Tom, it's, it's good to meet you as well. Hey, yeah, you too. Christian, right? That's your name? Yeah. I enjoyed your essay, man. Thank you. Appreciate you listening to it. I know it was long, and you've been listening to stuff like that for quite a while. It was, but I actually listened to it today because I was trying to take some mental notes if if uh, there was any you know points of conversations we could bring up. But you mentioned uh, a couple times about the Jordan Peterson, Sam Harris. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And Glenn and I had a couple conversations about that too, um, and it sounded like and maybe you can clarify that you enjoyed that discussion because i know glenn said he hated it i i loved it really loved it i did because it was we're talking about the first one right where they started to debate about i haven't heard the second one i've only heard the first one yeah about truth and what the meaning or how you define truth and they were either butting heads or speaking past each other i think there's some role (laughs) yeah and, and I was fascinated that they couldn't get past it, you know, for two hours. They well, just couldn't move on. Well, yeah, but in a way, I really enjoyed that because I can't, I can't for the life of me figure out Jordan Peterson's definition on it. Yeah. It seemed like he was, I don't know if it was squirrely or slimy or what, but it was like Sam Harris. It's like, I know what he's talking about and I know how he defines truth, the objective reality. At least that's the way I see it. And Jordan Peterson, like he, he incorporates like the mythological truth, how we define truth, truth that's outside of ourselves. I don't know. So if you have any insight as to how you think he defines it, I'd love to hear it. I don't, I can't figure him out. Yeah, I guess the way that I understood it, and you know, I, I've subsequently read a lot of his stuff and listened to a lot of his his material he's got online. And uh, event, it, it, essentially, I guess you'd say he's just he's a pragmatist, and and the classical definition would be that if it's not useful, 
that's not true. And well, that's a stupid way to frame it. That's a really stupid way to frame it. If it's not useful, it's not useful. Yeah, there you <laughs> Why go. Why do we need to substitute? There you go. You know, like how is that pragmatic? I, you know, like yeah, yeah I guess. And, and he's like, honestly, he's equivocating the on the word "true." Like, yeah. he's he's trying to redefine it. Did you did you listen to that one, Randy? The Sam Harris Jordan Peterson no discussion. No. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's simultaneously frustrating and fascinating. Yeah, it was mostly frustrating. I mean, I did listen to it all the way through, so. You know, it, it it had that, but I was just hoping that it would get resolved and they could move on. And I, I was infuriated with both of them. Both yeah. of them. Yeah. Why, why? So, so you didn't lean one way or another. You were just like, why can't they figure this out? Is that what it was? Is that I the frustration? Because to me, I it was lean like, always, Tom. Yeah. I can't. I can't decide. You know, like I, I, I like the way that Jordan Peterson um, understands myth and mythology as. A, a linguistic symbol for ideas uh-huh. and how like we, we, we put, we put these like mediating symbols out there to represent these thoughts and ideas. And then we get concurrence and we think that means that the way that we think is consistent with everyone, but it's just, you know, like how we interpret these symbols or whatever, you know? So I, I, I understand the, the slippery nature of truth in that sense of, yeah. you know, mythology and language as a symbol. So I, I get what Jordan Peterson's saying, but he took it too far. I, I wasn't comfortable with it. And I wasn't comfortable with him going, well, we're just going to have to agree to disagree on this. Yeah. Like, yeah. and especially for a word that's as important as, Truth, truth, especially today, like in this yeah. atmosphere that we're right. in. You know, I, I actually I had flashbacks, Glenn, of the big disagreement that you had about fiction way back in the day with Sapiens. Way back in the day, well, yeah. I don't know, several months ago, I guess. Yeah. But because I felt like that your definition of fiction was completely different than was it Jake and Heather? I guess. All right. You thought I was the Jordan Peterson of that conversation (laughs) because your definition of fiction was so slippery. It's like, well, you know, it could be depending on the day. I don't know. I was like, what are you talking about? Fiction is fiction. I I actually lean a little more on their end where I did. I didn't expect you guys to dive deep into the weeds of uh, while you were listener essay (laughs) when I was gone for two minutes. I thought we'd maybe start with some light stuff like, uh, "Hey, Christian, who are you?" Yeah, some some light pecking. Um, We were waiting until you finished urinating or whatever, hand holding, just kind of get to know each other before we just go for it, right? Well, I had to get my vape that my new vape that was charging. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm just on edge and no use to anybody. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh-huh. <laughs> you really look like Drew Carey. <laughs> oh, <man>. That's unfortunate. <laughs> I think Drew Carey's a, a handsome man. Oh, good. It's going to oh. be unfortunate if you're going to keep bringing it up all through the <laughs> conversation. Yeah. Okay, well, let's get a background of you. Um, where'd you grow up? Yeah, so I, I grew up in Orem, Utah. We, we moved around a good bit, but Orem's where we ultimately settled. That's where both my parents are from, is Orem. So that's where I claim. I went to high school there. Orem High School? Uh, Timpanogos High School, North Orem. Nice. Uh, yeah. did, you know, did you know the Heckmans? 
Mm, doesn't ring a bell. No. <laughs> He's just throwing a random name. Like uh-huh. they got to be in that area. Yeah. Yeah. Be <laughs> About how old are you? I'm 32. Oh, you're a youngin. Yeah. yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So, uh, you know, just kind of give us a background of your upbringing in the Mormon church. You're obviously the grandson of a BYU professor. What did your parents do or what did your dad do? Because your mom yeah. stayed at home, I'm sure. She did. Well, they got they got divorced when I was 13, so she went back to work. What? Yeah. yeah Randy, so you're making me think that you didn't listen to his essay today. You you kind of cherry-picked, right? No, I listened to the whole thing. You did? Then you didn't get that his parents divorced, that his dad is gay? Well, I got his dad is gay. That was pretty clear. His dad's not gay. I just threw that out there as a test. You failed. <laughs> no, his dad is definitely okay, gay. Okay. All right. I did it. That was... <laughs> <laughs> so did your parents get divorced because your dad was gay mm, yeah I, I mean indirectly but yeah yeah essentially i think that's what he'd say if you asked him and yeah that, sure. that was kind of a footnote to your essay that i was interested in hearing a little bit more about and it, it was heartbreaking to hear like your recognition of the way that you treated him, how, how that was conditioned by attitudes in the church and, and, and those kinds of things. But yeah, I'd like to hear you talk a little bit more about what that was like, just him coming out, talking to you, how that, how that happened. Sure. And I want to be careful not to tell his story for him. I, he does know that I, you know, I, I made sure that he was comfortable with me submitting the essay mm-hmm. and I had him listen to it, um, you know, before. Just tell I, it from I your perspective it. then. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I was aware of, of his being gay pretty early on, uh, earlier, I think, than I'm the oldest uh, in my family of five kids. Um, so I, I knew pretty early on um, after my parents were divorced. Of course, you know, being raised the way that I was very, very orthodox, um, you know, it, would, it was couched as a, as a trial or a temptation or something that, that he was overcoming. Um, did, he I, think, was, did he think that too? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so did he stay active during this whole time? He did. Um, oh. So, you know, my parents got divorced when I was 13 and, and he didn't uh, ultimately leave uh, until I was on my mission. I was near the end, about six months to the end of my mission. And that's when he wrote me a letter and he said, I, I can't be a member of the church anymore. Uh, I'm leaving. He was in the Tabernacle Choir at the time and wow. he, he, he resigned. Um, mm. uh, how, many, how many gay members of the Tabernacle Choir are there, have there been? Uh, higher than the average uh, in the church <laughs> membership, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I believe it. Yeah. But when you said that you kind of knew it, early on how how well mm, that's an interesting question i mean some things looking back after i found out um i was like oh yeah i guess that kind of makes sense um but you know i it was divulged in a not very nice way i'll, I'll put it that way that's kind of how i found out um uh, overhearing conversations that people didn't know i was listening to oh that makes sense yeah. Well, for pe- for people who are listening to this that might not have heard your essay because it was long. Yeah. Sorry <laughs> like about that. Over, no, that's. <laughs> I mean, it was it was over an hour long, and when you yeah. sent it in, I thought, all right, 
we'll throw it out there and see how listeners respond to it. And they voted for it. You got second place. So yeah, hey. apologize for, but um, for, for those who may not have heard your essay, could you talk a little bit about um, the struggles that you had um, in trying to accept him, like to love your dad, but not the sinning that he was doing? Yes. The, the, the love, the sinner, but hate the sin conundrum, right? Yeah. Which now to me is, is so pointless conundrum, truly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I struggled all of my adult life up until several years ago, four or five years ago of, of trying to walk the, this line, right. Oh. Of, of being Christ-like in loving him and extending mercy towards him and having a good relationship with him. But at the same time, making sure I didn't do anything or say anything that, that would show that I was approving of, of what he was doing. Um, and, uh, that, that's hard to do. And you do so at the expense of having a genuine relationship with that family member or that person, whoever it may be. Um, because you make them feel broken. You make them feel like something's wrong with them and they're not, they're not worthy of your love. And uh, I think that was the, the case with, with my father for a long time. What, what was your... Um reaction because you're still a believer in 2010 fall when boyd k packer gave his infamous talk why would a heavenly loving heavenly father do that to anyone why would he allow anyone to be born gay what was your reaction to that uh yeah my reaction was and obviously that was (laughs) that among many other such statements was what constitute kind of the beginning of the end for me uh, because it was it was obvious to me by that point that 's not true and 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 honestly, from within a even a believing framework, whether or not someone 's born gay or not is it doesn 't matter uh, i don't i don 't i don 't know how to make sense of that i didn 't know how to make sense of it then um, and uh, yeah so i i just didn 't necessarily believe it but it didn 't jolt you at that point um I, th- I think slightly. The thing that jolted me pretty severely was the, the exclusion policy, where they said if you're, you know, you're if you're gay, your children can't get baptized or whatever. Yeah, that uh, inspired that our 2015 or so, right? That inspired our our uh, best episode, in my opinion, ever. The Disney songs. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That back that, back me up on this, Glenn. Is that's our that's our best episode ever. <laughs> Yeah, okay. It's a good one. Eh, mediocre. <laughs> oh, come on, man. <laughs> it, it's, it's missing the Tom factor, so I don't know that he can totally be on board with that. But <laughs> That's just because Tom hates karaoke. <laughs> it's true. That could be. That, could be. that is true. <laughs> yeah, that one, that one was, I think, uh, that, that created a seismic shift um, in the, 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 the people that were on the periphery sounds like uh, you were on that periphery and uh, that moment was a big moment for a lot of people. Yeah. It was easy for me at that point to just be like, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't jive with anything that I've believed in or, or taught well, so as a member how, of the church. How was your relationship with your dad? Even like, you know, before and then him coming out and then afterwards, cause I'm sure there's a sort of an evolution that happens there. So I'm curious. Yeah. 
it's it's been a roller coaster ride um as a as a teenager you know after my parents were divorced in large measure in my mind it was his fault right right um so our relationship was pretty shaky i'd say through my teenage years but it, it ebbed and flowed even then he was he was he's a wonderful father he tried very hard uh, to always have a good relationship with his children and uh and a lot of those efforts now mean a lot to me, but were probably lost on me as a teenager. I think that's uh, probably true of most teenagers. True, yeah. Um, but towards the end there, I uh, actually lived with him before I went on my mission, and we had a, a good relationship all the way up through. Um, came home from my mission, got married, and uh, our relationship was good, but casual, um, not as close as uh, probably he or I would, would wish it would have been. But, you know, certainly as I've experienced my uh, paradigm shift, uh, we've become a lot closer as we've been able to talk about, you know, a lot of this, this stuff related to Mormonism and related to his, his experience in Mormonism. Because it's, you know, it's different than mine and it's different than I thought it was. Sure. Um, you know, for example, he, he wasn't familiar with a lot of the historical stuff that bothered me so much. He didn't, he, he didn't care about it. Uh, right. Right. You know, what, what literally he did know, you know, he, he just didn't care about that much. Um, but it was just the fact that he was gay and he couldn't be himself. Um, this is what ultimately caused him to be like, yeah, I can't do this. It's a big, it's a big enough issue. I think. Yeah. yeah. But it is a little frustrating. I, it would be for me. Like, it's like, okay, this church has rejected you. Like, rejected you as a person at your core, but there's so many other reasons to justify leaving. (laughs) Why aren't these interesting to you? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. He finds it fascinating when I tell him stuff that I've learned now. Uh, And he knew, he knew some, some of it, you know, and I think it bothered him too at certain points in his life. But I'm curious, um, what is the relationship of your father to your grandfather? It's good. Um, there it's evolved also slower than, you know, perhaps his relationship with his children. I mean, my, my father's relationship with me and his children, his relationship with his father and his family, uh, has evolved a lot slower, but he, uh, he has a good relationship with his parents. He sees them often. They talk, they've been kind to him and his partner, his husband, actually, they just got married last year. Oh, um, nice. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but they've been kind for the most part. Uh, both of my parents are the oldest of 10, 10 kids. So I've oh got, my God. Wow. I've got like, over 30 aunts and uncles and almost 40. Yeah. So, you know, his siblings have reacted uh, differently. Some have been loving and, and accepting immediately and some are standoffish even to this day. Wow. So, so I can't remember if you mentioned this, but what's your current like family situation? Are you married, kids? Yeah, I'm married with two kids. I've got two boys. One's four, and one's two little guys. And uh, and your wife is where is she at in relation to the church? She's active. She's oh, okay. uh, she's a nuanced believer. I'd say um, her testimony was always not the same as mine. You know, I was sure. very orthodox. Uh, very doctrinal in my testimony and she's never been that way. So she's so been very supportive. 
really supportive. So when you were going through this, when you were shifting gears and then pushed on the brakes with the church, she was supportive through that or was it difficult Did it strain the relationship and the marriage? Yeah, I think it, yeah, it did. Sure. Um, but we made it out better than I could have imagined. You know, the first, I remember the first time I told her, you know, I'd been outside working in the yard, thinking about all this stuff. And I, I decided that I can't, I can't go to church anymore. I just, I didn't have the stomach for it. It was making me anxious. It was making me angry. It was, it was too much. I was in the young men's at the time and I was, I was teaching them lessons every Sunday and I, I, I couldn't do it. You know, I, I'd, I'd teach them about honesty is let's talk about being honest you know something i can i can believe in <laughs> everyone can everyone can get on board with that yeah <laughs> but I, re- I remember going in and just saying babe look i don't think the church is true anymore you know i don't i don't in the way that i always have and i don't think i can go to church that much anymore and you know obviously she she didn't react she was she wasn't like oh great that's fine <laughs> that's what i always wanted yeah <laughs> you know we it, it was a an ongoing conversation for quite a while, but hmm. you know, ultimately she said, look, if, if you don't want to go, if it, if it bothers you, then don't go. It's fine. Did, does she not get the, um, kind of the, the stigmatization, uh, whatever it is, uh, the stigma of being a, um, part member mother that brings her kids to church and the husband's not there with her. And cause I, I know for, for, uh, my wife, that was hard when I stopped going to church. She, it, you know, she had all kinds of reasons to resent me anyway, but that just was another one that came to the, <laughs> came to the list. I made her look bad in front of the rest of the ward. Yeah. Look, luckily for me, my, my wife really doesn't care. Yeah. Um, so she's been fine in that department. Cool. At least that's what she says. <laughs> yeah, cause speaking of that, Glenn, my, my wife had a real tough time with that because it was like, I think she used the phrase, she felt like a, a religious single mother. Right. Yeah. For a while. Totally. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I've always had this theory that uh, those who build their testimony on rigidity and, uh, and, you know, dogma, they're the ones that get shattered and become atheists. And then, uh, those who have like nuanced beliefs, they're, they're like, uh, they're sitting in a cloud and, yeah. you know, try your damnedest to break down that cloud. Um, it's not going to happen. It sounds like your wife is one of those nuanced things. So like, it, is, is there nothing from church history um, or current doctrinal declarations that could uh, make her want to leave? Um. Yes. Um, there's not, there's nothing. No, there is. I mean, you know, when, when we were, for example, when we were newly married, I remember her saying something to me of the effect, like Brigham Young was a fool. Wow. And, wow. <laughs> and I was like, what? You, you can't say that. You know, you can't, <laughs> you can't think that even. Yeah. Um, it was definitely a dick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, she, I don't know. She, she's truly one of a kind of, among people that I've met. She, she, she disagrees with a lot, both historically and currently. Um, she's pretty much on the same page as me. She's just really able to compart. So she, she's a mental health therapist. So she compartmentalizes very well. That's awesome. Her, her life and the stuff that goes on around her. 
And I think that she's able to do that with the church and say, look, it's screwed up. It's, it's not what they say it is, but it, it on average is good for me and my family. So I think it's well, worth being a part of. Here's the question I always have. Uh, uh, you have two kids, right? Right. Either from daughters? No, two boys. Ugh, then never mind. <laughs> I just can't, I just can't imagine justifying, uh, raising a daughter in the church. Yeah. Well, that was the paradigm shift for me. I think that finally pushed me to think about a lot of this stuff was when I had kids and I thought, well, what do I want for them? What experiences would I want to create? What do I want them to learn? And for me, a lot of that thinking and pondering and introspection is what led me to doubt a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Even though you you have two boys, they're still being brought up in a sexist culture. Yeah. And you got to, I mean, it's, uh, it's going to take my whole lifetime to deprogram from the, the sexism that I was brought up in. Um, I don't know. Uh, I'm not trying to be judgy, but it's like, it just seems like there's better ways than I, a Mormon I'd, church. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd be interested to hear what your wife has to say, you know, as a, as a mental health specialist. Um, that's really interesting because I, I, I think this is an area that just, I wasn't able to compartmentalize, you know, the, the way you described it, Christian is how a lot, how I felt I, it just w- was so emotionally taxing to go to church week after week and to, 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 to care about it enough to read outside sources, you know, to, to, to study it, to learn about it, and then to see the discrepancies between what's being said and what I'm learning in other areas and have to be silent about that and have to just like, eat. like I couldn't, I couldn't do that. But I don't know that it's the most mentally healthy thing to just abandon everything because there's things that I look at now and I'm like, Oh, I've lost that. I've lost that. I've lost that. And so this is, this is just a silly little story, but my, my wife um, was at a museum with um, our, our daughter, Zoe, the one who says, thank you for listening to infants on thrones at the end Uh of the episode. She's nine now. And one of the pieces of art that they were looking at was John the Baptist's head being served on a, you know, platter by Salome, whatever her name is. (laughs) And she didn't know. She didn't know, like, who is this? What's the story? Oh, it's John the Baptist. Oh, who's John the Baptist? She has no idea because we don't go to church. We, you know, she doesn't learn those stories anywhere else. And so there's, there's this piece of cultural literacy that, you know, being part of a predominantly Christian-influenced culture, she's missing out on. And we're not supplementing with anything else. I mean, there's other things that we could do to supplement that so she knows who John the Baptist is and other things like that. But there, there are certain parts about um just interacting socially with other people that you're missing out on that um i don't know i i i I guess there's times where i look back at the way that my exit was from the church and wish that um it could have been a little healthier for me a little healthier for my kids um but i i don't know that i can articulate it more than that that was a question yeah, Christian, answer just a response. <laughs> is it a question? <laughs> I was the guest answer. Yeah. No, I think it was. I, for, I forgot I what the question was in, in there. Yeah. <laughs> no, it just made me think. Just made what, me think. Uh, well, let me let me let me ask you this question. I'll ask you a more direct question than just pontificating. 
And, and I totally get everything that Glenn said. Yeah. I have been trying over the last four weeks to get my kids interested in learning about Jesus because they know dick about Jesus. And I'm like, you, you know, these are things you need to know when you're dealing with people who believe that Jesus is God. That's only 2 billion people in the world. <laughs> and, yeah, and they know nothing about Jesus and they really don't even care. I have to drag it out of them. And, and so I, I totally get what you're saying there, Glenn, and empathize with that. Um, but um, my question for you and your wife, mainly for your wife, um, is what is it about the Mormon church that makes her feel like it's still worth sending her children there to be indoctrinated? Of course, you'll deprogram program them afterwards, but still, they're going to get it. What is it about the other church that's worth it? Yeah. We've had this conversation, she and I, um, because my, my hang-up is similar to what you just described is, who's to say it's the best? Um, if that's what we're shooting for here, you know, if it's not the path, the truth, then shouldn't we be striving for the best possible outcome here? And what is the best possible outcome and what system is going to give us that? And um, I think for her, it all boils down to familiarity. Um, and it's a, a system in which she's able to teach them the things that she values and the things that we value as parents, which are kindness, respect, love, tolerance, um, you know, alleviating suffering, things like that, I think there's opportunity to find those within Mormonism. And like I explained in my essay, it, it comes couched with things that aren't good, like misogyny, like uh, bigotry, like racism. Those things come along with those messages, and that's the unfortunate part of it. Um, and so I guess it's, it's kind of a dance uh, to pull away the good and, and leave the bad and I, I don't think that's a, a problem or a, a situation that's unique to Mormonism or religion. I think we find that within all institutions at, at large. Um, but I think for now, it's just the, the best way we know how. Uh, the well, best way she knows how. Your, fa your fam I mean, just family. Yeah. I, mean, I, think, I think there's, there's so much social cost that comes with leaving. And I hate that I'm about to say this. I really hate that I'm about to say this. But there's really no perfect system or institution that you can go to that has all of these positives without any associated negatives. You, you've, got, you've got to learn how to do that dance and how to balance that anywhere you are in life. And so if she's there and she's comfortable with that and she's got the skills, it's a pretty cool dance. Yeah. yeah. How, how does she, okay. So this is my question. Cause I tried this. Like I remember when I came out to my Bishop as an atheist and he took my temple recommend that day during that conversation. Uh -huh. And I said, uh, you know, the only question I have Bishop, is there a place for someone like me? <laughs> who who really values the the culture and the tradition, but just doesn't believe in any of the truth claims. And he didn't really have an answer, but it really didn't matter because I could not stand mm. sitting through sacrament meeting and listening to all the bullshit. Right. Yeah. 
it was just, I, I was pulling, I don't even have much hair, but I was pulling what hair I had left out of my head. And I'm just wondering how do you guys just like get on your phone and <laughs> go on Facebook or uh, Instagram or, I mean, wh- how do you, how do you tolerate the bullshit? Yeah. So I don't go, I haven't been for two years or so. And I, I essentially stopped for the same reason. I just couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. Uh, it was tiring. It was taxing. Um, you know, I couldn't do it. So I stopped. I'm, I, you know, I, I told my wife and I've told other people I'm, I'm taking a hiatus and, uh, that's the way I see it. Um, I haven't resigned or anything. I'm just taking a break until either it changes or I change. And, uh, you know, Oh, so, spoiler alert. You're going to change. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> how does your wife put up with it? Well, she, uh, like I say, I mean, she just is really good at compartmentalizing and it's almost like out in one ear, out the other. Um, and you know, she, she teaches primary, which is funny because it's the old Testament this year. And I know that because she'll call me on Sunday and, and say like, well, what exactly happened when Moses parted the Red Sea? How did that work? And you know, I'll be like, actually, <laughs> it didn't. it's just a story. It's, it didn't, wasn't, it wasn't real. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, she, she's just really good at compartmentalizing and, and uh, picking out what she thinks is good and leaving the rest there. I, I would think that if you were like a, a mental health professional and you're kind of aware that everybody wears these masks around, you know, the, that they show to other people. And so when you, you see somebody get up and bear their testimony or give a talk or something, it might be fun. It might be a fun game to go, okay, what is it that they're putting forward? What does that say about who they are behind the mask? What is that, you know, like, so, so it doesn't have anything to do with religion or anything at all. Maybe that's the way to do it. But you know, like you guys, I couldn't do it either. I, I couldn't. Is there any chance Christian that we can get your wife on right now to explain how she gets through sacrament meetings? <laughs> sounds more interesting than you. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Like Christian is us. Like we already know our story. We can't no, stand oh, well. sacrament meeting. I want to know how, she gets through it yeah, christian yeah. like it's a very unfair question to ask christian how does your wife get through sacramenting that's not fair how does she put up with you yeah <laughs> yeah that's a great great question let me she's downstairs i'll get her all right well, you know, <laughs> ask your question tom yeah i go definitely ahead. go if, if you want to do that whatever but uh, i wanted to ask because you actually touched about touched this in your essay where you were talking about how you took the church serious and so when you unplugged yourself from it it created this gap or void that you know all of us apostates have experienced where the church had these spots in in our life and in our heart and everything like that and so when you leave it creates this vacuum or this void right and so now you know, where are you? You, you don't, you say you, you've pulled yourself away. Are you able to either deal with that vacuum that's now there or what do you do to either fill it? Do you just, do you do kind of like what some of us do? We just fill our head full of uh, podcasts and TV shows and, or what, what, what do you do? Yeah. I so fill I, it with, I fill it with a river of vodka. <laughs> <laughs> not your gut, not your head, but yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, it's, you know, I think I probably am typical in a lot of ways in that I I watched 
you know, every single episode of Mormon stories. I listened to every single episode of Mormon Expression and Infants on wow. Thrones and, and all of the other podcasts that kind of break it down and make you feel like you're not going insane. Um, but where do I turn for things? You know, in large part, I, I still take away. Where well, do you turn for peace is really what. Yeah, yeah. Where, <laughs> where can you turn for turn peace? For peace. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I take away a lot of the good that I, that I learned in the church because there is some good. But, uh, you know, I, I am a big fan of Eastern philosophy. Um, I think there's a lot of wisdom in, in Buddhism and coping with life and seeing the world through the, the paradigm of trying to alleviate suffering in the world, that life is suffering and we should do what we can to alleviate suffering in this world. Um, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. And I think it's enlightening to, to view the world that way. Um, and then just try to read as much as I can and, and uh, make the world a better place. Sometimes, you know, i mentioned in my essay, like, after the hurricane hit here in Texas, I had the opportunity to, to go, you know, after something like that happens, it happens and it's near you, you want to help. Yeah. And, you know, one of the only things I knew how, how, you know, what to do was to reach out to the church and, and say, Hey, you guys helping with stuff. And of course they were. And I got a cool experience to go down there and help people that needed help, just people that needed help. Right. And uh, so I don't know, man, I, I just, uh, I want to argue with you about Buddhism now. Without Bo- about Buddhism, I, I, yeah, I don't think I don't think that Buddhism is trying to alleviate suffering in the world. I think that Buddhism is saying there is suffering in the world, and yeah. and what Except you have to do it. is accept it, let it go. Yeah. You know, like let go of your attachment to those things, and and if you're trying to cure the world of suffering you're not following that second step, which is just letting it go. Let it go. Yeah. And, and like accept it as it is. And then that, that third one of, of Nirvana of like breathe in, breathe out, just let it, let it go. That, that peacefulness of just kind of accepting things as they are. That's hard to do when there's so much shit and injustice in the world, but that's what, that's what I've had to do with Trump. <laughs> Yeah, now I'm the first one to bring it up, Randy. It wasn't me. I know it wasn't you. That's I just had to go breathe out. Whatever. If you voted voted for Trump, this this interview is over. I I did not. (laughs) I I think he was telling all of us. I think. Yeah. 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 I live in Texas though, so he did win here. This is a country. Oh, you live in Texas? Mm. Yeah. What what is it? One of the things you said in, in your, your essay, I, I think, um, is that you want, you still want to believe in God, but you can't. Is that accurate? Is that how you feel? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think there's value in the archetypal perfect man and striving to become like the archetypal perfect man. But as far as, a, as an anthropomorphic being named Elohim that lives on a planet named Kolob next or whatever, no, next to the star no. named Kolob. He lives on a planet, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. the planet <laughs> next to the star named Kolob. You know, that's, I can't believe in that. Um, just logically, um, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, so, so, you know, I, I think I said in my essay that I, I could honestly say that I have faith in God 
if I could completely redefine what faith means uh-huh. and what, and what God, God means. means. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I thought, means, I thought, let's do that. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's redefine it. Let's do it right now. What does faith on this, mean? On this episode. We'll get Jordan Peterson up on the phone. Yeah. We'll ask Jordan Peterson to redefine faith as he redefined truth. <laughs> yeah. Faith. I think faith means hope for something better. Um, that's how I would redefine faith. It's just a hope for something better, a way of life that's better, to become better. Um, that's what faith is. I think believing in something blindly is not faith. And I, I think I said in my essay that I'm confused where you draw the line between faith and delusion. I think Richard Dawkins is famous, you know, for making that distinction, but I think it's a good point. Uh, I think they become quite the same at some point. What, what's the difference then between faith and just hope? Like why have a separate word of faith? That's a good question. And I don't know that I have a, necessarily an answer for it. I think uh, you know, I'm programmed a certain way. When, when, when I hear the word faith, I, I think of the scriptures. You know, how does the scripture define faith? And it's a hope for things which are true, yeah. but are not seen or something like that, you know? Um, so when I hear the word faith, I, I think it's a belief in something that you, you know, is true. Or, or the, you know, like you think it's there, whether it is or not, you think it is, even though you don't really have any evidence for it. Right. Well, that scripture actually says evidence, though. Yeah, but it also says truth. That's the, that's the part of that scripture that I, I could never get on board with, that it, things that you can't see that are true. I'm like, well, th- how, can you, how can they be true if you don't know that they're true? <laughs> Haven't you seen Saturday's Warriors? <laughs> have, you, have you not seen Saturday's Warriors? Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do you think, Tom? Remember your promise, Jimmy. Well, you know, as, as you're talking, Christian, I'm, I'm thinking about what it's been hard for me, and I'm just relating to just recent experiences. Um, a good friend of mine, his father passed away this last weekend, and I don't know why the hell this is happening, but it seems like there's just been a lot of tragedy that I've been having to experience in the last couple of months, and it's hard, dude. Like, even going to the service for your niece, Randy, it, you know, just sitting there thinking that if I was still a believer, it, I could take solace in the fact that, oh, okay, you know, it's, it, you know, she's in a better place, blah, blah, blah. And, and my friend who's lost his dad, he just went on and on and on about, well, you know, he's no longer suffering and he's in a better place or whatever. And that, that solace is freaking gone. It's hard, dude. I, it's the, the realism of tragedy is that much more potent. Like it's super potent. Yeah. But it's, it's also cheap. Um, so I wasn't sure if I was going to share this, but Tom was there and, and this can be the episode where I finally play that song that you sent me. Yeah, sure. (laughs) And um, I, I gave the opening talk, um, a tribute to my niece and it was really nice by the way. Oh, it really sucked, but thanks. <laughs> it really was terrible. I was, like, well, the thing is like you sit down and you go, Oh my God, there's so many things I should have said. Of it's, course. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Your so heart then, was there. Then another woman gets up and, and I kept, I kept my talk to like damn in hell. 
kept it, you know, uh, in, in the cussing range that the, the Uber, Uber TBM relatives would be okay with. <laughs> um, yeah. And then Tracy came up and she gave like a really poetic talk. And then we did the, uh, the video montage, but then Andy came up and spoke for like 45 minutes. Holy crap. Yeah. And he was dropping F bombs left and right. <laughs> it was, it was great. And it was great, but because everyone got to know Becca, everyone after that talk knew Becca better. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> then my uncle came up. Uh, Is that who he, that was? In that was, was white yeah, for, former stake president, Uncle Raj. The uncle whole Roger. service took a, took a <laughs> left right there. <laughs> yeah. He comes up and he tells a story of seeing uh, a hole, a vortex hole into the spirit world where he saw my mom um, and all the dead relatives in our family. Yeah. And as soon as they saw him, the hole closed up. And, and then he bore his testimony that Becca is still alive. She lives and, on. And she lives on. And it was so cheap and so weird. Everything before that was like just this beautiful tribute to a life well-lived yeah. Although only 27 years. And then he comes up and gives yeah. us cheap with a Mormon cadence. Did you notice the Mormon cadence? Oh, he did. The, the way I he know. talks. Yeah. Yeah. It's just yeah. the pace of the talking. Yes. Um, and then yeah. th- thankfully uh, her ex-boyfriend got up and dropped a bunch of F-bombs after that. He was great. Totally washed <laughs> yeah. the, 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 the bad aftertaste out. But to me, it was like, I talked to my sister, my baby sister afterwards. She's like, you know, Uncle Roger was just trying to, bring in hope uh to the service and i'm like so that means there was no hope in every other <laughs> account of becca's life and uh and so you know it's raw it's it's the pain is real you're you're processing it um you're talking about the opportunity cost and but also all the great things they did in their life but that whole oh she's fine everything's fine death isn't real uh, bullshit that my uncle introduced was like that it was jolting and it was cheap in my opinion. So that, that's basically my point. Did you take offense to it? No, because that's how he is. I mean, what, yeah. what do you expect? Yeah. What do yeah, you expect? Right. right. I just, I don't know. It just, it was cool that every, you know, nobody else missed a beat. <laughs> like, yeah. Like you said, Steven got up and whatever. And I was like, whew. I was worried that people are going to get up like, okay, that sucked. All right. All right. Shoot. <laughs> I'll just go now. No, nobody even referenced him. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it, was it, was just, it was just an aberration and an otherwise wonderful service, in my opinion. So It was. But, but my point is that, that solace is cheap. I mean, Glenn, what do you think? Well, first, I wish I would have been there. Um, I would have liked to have been there with you guys. Um, I solace is cheap i i think i think you guys are just speaking different cultural languages and what brings well it's a language i'm fluent in though it is <laughs> it is but you've reject i mean like it doesn't it doesn't do it for you you've you know you, you you see it as a very flawed language so you don't speak it anymore even though you understand it when it's spoken you know um yeah i don't know i i i, I was thinking um when when tom was talking about the tragedy that you've had in your life and that you've kind of lost if, if I, if I'm restating this right, that you've kind of lost the ability to find solace in it. Is that, is that how you feel? 
or how to even just deal properly. Like all the, all my emotions are so goddamn raw. Yeah. When I feel this stuff and it, and like you, like you've mentioned before, Randy, like I feel like I'm a pretty empathetic person and even to a fault sometimes. And so when, you know, I'm, I'm seeing Jim up there, like I can't even, I can't even begin to touch just the, just the heartache that I'm feeling. Right. You know, and it's, and I don't know how to fucking process it properly because <laughs> it's like, I, I don't even know how to even just scratch the surface of how intensely real and painful that is. It's just, I don't know. I just kept thinking like, that's just too much for one person to bear for like for me. And I just kept contemplating like, could I, could I survive, you know, losing your wife and then losing your daughter a couple of years later? I don't think I could, you know, but that's, you know, it's a testament to Jimmy's strength and whatever. But I, I just kept thinking, God, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm strong enough. <laughs> I don't think no, I can do it. Cause I, I, I feel that stuff, you know? I understand that. Cause after I left the church, uh, my two year old at the time, he's now 10, almost drowned. And I, yeah, yeah, I remember that story. And I was like going, you know, going through the simulations in my head. If he had died, I would have killed myself. Yeah. Right. It would have been, you know, first of all, it would have been my fault because I was watching everyone in the pool. Second of all, that's my baby. Yeah. Right. And, you know, the, going to Mormon funerals has, has made me kind of envious of the way they deal but at the same time, it seems like a cheap trick. It is, but you don't really realize how effective that cheap trick is until you lose it. You know, it's like the, the illusion of, oh, everything's fine. You know, that deep, that deep sorrow that now I'm feeling, I didn't have to really experience it on the same level that I did then. As a believer, you're like all right, well, it won't be so bad. I'll live my life and then I'll pass on and then we'll all be re- reunited. It'll be great. Now it's like, who the fuck knows? Well, here's the thing, man, is uh, I said this before is uh, my choice when given the choice between the truth, like, and, and being happy, I choose the truth over being happy. Well, of course. And so would and I, I, but- that's just how I'm wired. But but even but just realizing that there's pros and cons to that choice, right? And there's definitely of, well, there's not even it's not even a choice. I don't right. think. And th- some I of just, those some of those cons is tragedy is going to be that much more intense. That's true. Yeah, or or or, or maybe um, because the way that you were raised to deal with those kinds of tragedies, you've rejected because you say this isn't true. Um, it that makes the tragedies when they happen harder with to deal because you haven't developed the skill set to do it and the, the way that you were taught to do it you said nah no not gonna no, do that it. that's true that's true and i also think that it it's not just tragedy too i think that like really good experiences in your life like if you if you know you had a new baby or something like that or if you got married it, i i think that it would intensify those feelings as well a little bit because i think even Mormonism might cheapen that a little bit. It, I don't know. Maybe I'm speaking out of my ass here, but I feel like if if I were to have a child now, like my love for that child would probably be a little bit more. I don't know. Like I feel like 
just thinking logically, like the chances of you actually being born is so crazy. <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> like you came out not of only that, balls, man. <laughs> like, not only that, you're white. <laughs> do, do, do you know how valuable that that what you're is that cosmic lottery ticket is? Right. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Christian, you still there? Oh yeah, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we sorry we swallowed you up there. Yeah, we went, we went, we went off into the. But if, but if you definitely have an opinion or take on uh, some of this stuff, Christian, I'm definitely all ears. No, I mean that was a good conversation around tragedy and and the paradigm shift that losing your faith can have. You know, I I I resonate with you know what you said about really losing the ability to believe or to find solace in the types of things that you, you would have or could have when you were a believing member of the church. That's how I feel. I feel like I lost it. I didn't, I didn't like drop it. Uh, through the, the process of things, I lost that ability. And, um, you know, I think people will say, well, it's because perhaps you're unfaithful or whatever. And I think I mentioned that in the essay as well. That's a common response, but uh, that wasn't the case. And uh, it was just more of a natural progression of, of me thinking and concluding things and progressing. Um, one of, you know, especially when it, when it comes to tragedy, you know, that, that's why I said that the, the Buddhist life is suffering type of, of thinking uh, is helpful for me personally. Because when you're a believing member, I think it's it's easy to say, well, you know, in the in the end, everything will be okay. Everything will be made right. Even though it's hard right now, in the end, everything's going to be okay. It's that sense of eternal justice that, that goes missing um, when you lose your faith. Um, but I think maybe bringing it back the other way to say, well, life is suffering. It's just stuff happens. Yeah, that sucks. Uh, deal with it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause my, my, my friend that lost his father, he, he made a snide remark to me that stung, but it also made me reflect where he says, you know, if I didn't believe in the church, I don't know what I, I would think. I, I don't know how to deal with losing my father. And yeah, I know he, that he was digging it at me, you know, like, Oh, you know, if you, when you lose your dad, Tom, it's going to suck for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was like, man, <laughs> but see it's and that's curious to me because i you know like i i've i've spent time in that uh, like like where i am now i i feel like i have kind of a sense of i'm not going to call it life after death but that the transient nature of existence that I'm comfortable with and that wh whatever life that animates me at a subatomic level, all that stuff dispersed. It's, it's like a whirlwind. It's like a whirlpool that's come together at this time. And all of these things that are cooperating inside of me to make me for however long I'm here. And then it's gone. It's like watching a dust devil swirl around and then it's gone. And that I'm kind of okay with that and thinking that, well, that's all right. That's what everything is. Everything around me is like that. There's nothing that stays forever. And that, that's almost kind of um, something that I feel like the Mormon church maybe does a disservice of us thinking that everything should be forever. And that kind of feeds into that second Buddhist thing of attachment. You're, you're so attached yeah. to it. No, Impermanence. Let, it, let it go. Yeah. You know, recognize that 
and, and appreciate the time. But, but I remember before I started thinking about it this way, when I was just thinking that like, when you die, there's nothing, you just, you're out. There's, there's nothing at all beyond, you know, and it's not like being in a dark room forever and suffering. You're not even aware of it. And that seems so peaceful. We had talks about this, Tom, you remember what I'm like? I know. Isn't that peaceful to think that you just die and there is no more suffering? Yeah, there's no more joy. There's no more anything. It's just like this peaceful release. And that's an option. Uh, so why, why doesn't that become a superior way of dealing with death as, a, as an atheist rather than, you know, as, as Randy was talking about earlier, these kind of cheap platitudes of, oh, we'll see them. I don't, I don't know. I, maybe it's easier for you, Glenn, to wrap yeah. your mind around non-existence. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so I I know. yeah it's, it's hard for me because, yeah. you know, and, and I've read enough books and stuff like that where they talk about, hey, do you remember what it was like before you were born? It's like that. Right. Um, but I'm like, okay, but I don't recall. You what can't it was because like. of the veil yeah. of forgetfulness. <laughs> <laughs> the veil was, yeah, over my mind. So I, I, I have a ra- hard time wrapping up like my mind on, okay, what's it going to be like to just have the lights turn off and then nothing. Isn't that I don't know. I think it, great. I'm like, n- no, that doesn't sound great. Like, and then it, all my memories gone. That's, I don't know, man. Uh, I think it's narcissism. Like uh, my consciousness is so important that it must persist. Well, like, but, I got a lot of shit to say still. I don't think it's narcissism. <laughs> Fair enough. You probably do. No, I don't think it's oh, narcissism. So you're saying it's, it's narcissism on my end, but not it's your not, end. It's not, it's not classic <laughs> textbook narcissism. I'm, try, I'm, trying to, I'm, trying, I'm trying to look at it a much softer way. Like I, I cherish a lot of my memories. A lot of them are really, really meaningful to me. And to just say, oh, they'll be gone. That's cool. That's fine. Shouldn't that, be, shouldn't that bring you peace and solace, Tom? No, it doesn't. Because I reflect on a lot of my really nice memories, thinking that's what makes my life meaningful and stuff like that, and they'll just be gone. Yeah, my my biggest pull to this world is the people that depend on me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Otherwise, I just off myself. I'm not really oh, tied. Oh, jeez, dude. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not really tied to my place in the universe anymore. That's your purpose is people relying on you? I just know how yeah. devastating it would be for my kids if sure. if I was to disappear and my wife and my wife. Well, what about you? <laughs> very, 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 very nice. <laughs> <laughs> High five. Yeah. Yes. Oh man. We haven't done. What, what is that? that that's uh, Borat, that's Borat, right? Borat. Yes. Yeah. A nice decade long joke. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I can't say my wife without thinking my wife. My wife. <laughs> but I have a wife. Uh, no, so you're just, not fi- you're not finding like m- a meaningful purpose for your life outside of people that rely on you, Randy. The world is just going to shit, man. Uh, <laughs> so okay, that's no. The huh? Supreme Court, uh, the president, the All Congress. Right. Okay, you personally, like in your bubble, right? With you, your family, like I get joy out of life. Okay, but right. you know, it wouldn't be a big loss to the world if I disappeared. Jeez, dude, Kendall, that's that's terrible thing to <laughs> just. <laughs> We're gonna start a save Randy you. campaign. Save <laughs> Paris, you know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I've because uh, the first time Glenn said that, like the eternal Daltone, how peaceful does that sound? Like disturb me, like bug me for years. This was years ago <laughs> that you first came up with that, and now I'm like, yeah, the eternal Daltone. I'm starting to warm up on me. Yeah. 
I, I'm I'm less convinced now of an eternal dial tone, but you can't know. You can't know anyway. Yeah. Anyone who says they know for sure is trying to sell you something. Life I did. Pain. I did enjoy that Christian not once, but twice used the word obfuscate. It's a good yeah. word. He did. Randy's over there high fiving people like he did twice. <laughs> keep it up. Keep it up. I, I want to know what, what you thought, Randy, when he said Oakham's razor. Uh, I never heard it pronounced like that. I've only heard it pronounced <laughs> Occam's razor. <laughs> and you said it I multiple you were gonna times that tonight. It's Occam, not Oakham. <laughs> gotcha. I will never pronounce it Oakham again. <laughs> <laughs> Word please, pull it over. Oh, I do have a question. Something that made me want to vomit that you said, Christian. Yes. Mm-hmm. Elder Oaks, I love, I love you. you. I love you. I, <laughs> like Elder Oaks, I wanted to take a... <laughs> and ram it up his... <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> and you're like... That's Oaks. love to some people, Randy. <laughs> I know. Some people, some people are into that, and there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. But why did you say that? Defend, think, defend yourself. Yeah, I think deep down, um, Elder Oaks is trying to be the best person that he can be and to make the world the best place that it can be. And I don't doubt his motives. Really? His intentions. You don't doubt his intent? I don't, and, I don't doubt him either, but that doesn't mean that I love him. Well, yeah. there, I, there, I don't, there, there, there's, there's, there's a leap between accepting him being sincere and loving the product of that sincerity. And you also are acting like his motives are pure, like his motives are power, uh, in my opinion. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe, I mean, maybe he, he like really believes what he's saying and he's trying to help people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, really? I, sure. Yeah. Ugh. I mean, I, I think the, the impact of the, the systems that we're all raised in, I think yeah. is hard to quantify. Yeah. And he's, he's a product of his upbringing and his system and his brain, uh, the same way that all of us are. And, uh, it's hard to, I don't know. It's hard. You know, I understand what you're saying. I mean, because a lot of the stuff that he's, he's said and, and, uh, propagated is, is wrong in my well, opinion. And, also and led, probably led directly to suicides. Right. And, and the fact that it would be so easy for one of them to just stand up and say, look, we, we love you. Uh, if you're, if you're gay, we love you. Please don't kill yourself. We're here for you. We'll figure this out together. Um, to me, that's something that could be easily done. Yeah. And uh, it would go a long way. Not, not if you've already got it figured out. Right. Uh, Oaks, Oaks, Oaks isn't, Oaks isn't going to anybody say, let's figure this out together. No, <laughs> it sure would be nice though. Wouldn't it? He's an uh, arrogant piece of shit. <laughs> Um, and, and he's had people give him better ideas. Like he's, it's not like he hasn't been presented with better ideas from guys like Marlon Jensen mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and Uchtdorf. And he hasn't responded in a kind way. Like he, he's doubled down, become more, you know, more of a curmudgeon, you know, I have no respect for him as a human being. Much less what I say. I fucking love him. <laughs> fucking hate him. So that means that you're not as good of a person as Christian is, Randy. That's just. What oh, yeah. Uh, apparently by Jordan Peterson's 
definition. <laughs> ever changing, ever evolving <laughs> definition. I have I have no sympathy for his position. He is way too smart to believe the positions he's held. Um, you know, and he wields such tremendous power over the hearts and minds of millions. So fuck Elder Oaks. Fuck him. Sorry, I just had to say that. Okay. Yeah, I get it. The cognitive bias is powerful. And he loves you too, Randy. No, he doesn't. No, no, no. I mean, Christian. Oh, I, I totally love Randy. Yeah, see? Yeah, but Oaks doesn't love me. He doesn't. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> he would pretend to. So did your wife uh, opt out of uh, coming up? Well, she's here. Oh. I don't, know, I don't know if she'd be up for talking, but I can. Come on. Right here. Bring her on. They're interested in talking to you. Cassandra, do you want to talk to them? Hello. Hi, Cass- Cassandra. That's correct. Hello. Not Hi. Cassandra. That's right. <laughs> All right, C- Cassandra. Mm-hmm. Or Glenn, did you want to ask the first question? Um, I, I would like to turn the time over to Randy to ask the first question. <laughs> All right. So Cassandra, mm-hmm. um, as a mental health professional, right? Is that true? The, I'm an LCSW. Yes. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds, sounds a official. Li- a licensed clinical social worker. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So actually my question is how do you endure sacrament meeting with all the bullshit that is spewed from the pulpit? <laughs> <laughs> what was the qualifier for? Like I, now, I'm even more confused. Well, because she's she's she understands mental health. Like how? Yeah, but how can... are you maintaining your mental health right. sitting through sacrament meeting? Um. Well, I have a toddler with me, so that helps in regards to distractions. Um. But I, I have chosen, and this is how I've been essentially throughout my uh, life in Mormonism, I've chosen to focus on uh, what is positive and combat the negative. And so I'm not a passive participant in uh, things that go on within my ward or within the church. Um, you know, but, within my circle of control. So but you but, are a passive because all of us, everyone who's in sacramenting is passive. There's no, there's no interaction. And that's an hour and 10 minutes. And so outside, I guess you're right. Um, but when I have the opportunity to be my testimony, I do so in a way that is uh, nuanced and to where I am able to, I hope, um, convey that I am a supporter and I'm a safe person of those who are struggling or that they're not alone. And I, I do that also in Relief Society. Um, certainly in my interactions with ward members, I'm known for that. And um, I certainly uh, have never stood by Again, this is all within my circle of uh, control. And so I'm 
and I was Relief Society president, and I advocated for what I felt was right. And I also certainly addressed what I felt was destructive and um, harmful. And again, it's all within all that I have control over, my circle yeah. of influence. And as a woman, that's limited. And I hear you say that, and I've heard my husband say that. And in to an extent, yes, but again, all I have are my experiences, right? And that's all I can speak from. And when I was Relief Society president and also primary president, I uh, certainly never allowed myself to be minimized. And I don't feel that... Uh, <sighs> I feel that there certainly were those that tried just through the chauvinist nature that is Mormonism. And, but I felt that I was effectively able to combat that just based on my personality. And I would tell my husband that I do feel bad and sad for women in the church that don't have a personality such as mine because I could see how that is incredibly destructive and, um, and really, uh, for, especially in my line of work, when I worked at LDS Family Services, uh, destructive. The impact that the priesthood and men in general, uh, the control that they had over the women and um, how it was oftentimes almost immobilizing for them. Yeah, I, I was part of uh, ward councils when the women were finally dismissed and then listened to the men talk about their concerns. And it really was a dismissive tone, but that was just my own anecdotal experience. Um, but um, I've got a question. What it, I was, okay, so I'll go, go ahead and finish up, yeah. The thing I was going to finish up with is, is how do you feel like that has painted, painted you um, as a member of the ward? Oh, not good. Um, I, especially in the ward we're currently in, is uh, it's just not uh, one of my favorites. And I think with my husband uh, now being inactive or taking a break or whatever, um, it's, you know, for his mental health, I think is effective and I totally support. Um, I, they don't know what to do with me and they really didn't know what to do with me before just because of, I think my personality, I'm certainly not the typical, uh, Mormon woman I've never been. And, uh, I think that in of itself is a struggle for, uh, the men in the ward and even the women to understand and embrace. And then with my husband not being active, they don't know what to do. And so I'm certainly not, uh, my calling now, I was in the primary presidency and now I'm, uh, I teach the eight-year-olds, which I love. Um, and I think it's great, but rarely do people interact with me mm-hmm. and there's not really a lot of opportunity either. Um, but I also certainly don't seek it out. Yeah. Um, so, so when we were talking earlier with Christian and thinking, oh, well, we should get you on, because we were speculating as to what things were like um, from, from your perspective, having uh, Christian be uh, inactive. Um, and I, I think most of us agreed that 
that we had a kind of a similar experience to Christian where sitting in church was so taxing. There was, there was so much anxiety, um, just like hearing these things that were like, that's not true. That's not true. That's not right. Couldn't, couldn't do what you do in focusing on just the positive, you know, like it was those negative things that I, I wish I could, I wish I would have been able to do that. And so what I'd like to hear you talk about a little bit, and I'm not going to argue with you about any of these things, but what are some of those positive things that really keep you grounded and, and that you see this value that is contributing to your life? Because I think that's something for, for me, at least it was hard to grasp onto. And, and now, cause I've been out for, for a long time, maybe eight to 10 years, it's hard to even remember. So um, I'd like to hear you talk about that if you don't mind. Oh, certainly. Um, I think the biggest thing has the family and the importance and focus um, on the family. And uh, that's by all means the biggest thing because who doesn't want to live with their, well, uh, <laughs> this is coming from a mother of two young boys we'll let it go yeah no, I mean, they're, I they're young to, yeah, yeah they're young <laughs> they're not so, talking back yet oh well, they are um but i want to be with my you know my husband and my babies forever yeah uh, there's nothing that i wish for more um also i like uh and again i'm nuanced and i always have been and let me preface it by saying that I also don't uh, see these men as uh, speaking for me or that they have any more revelation for me than I do. I don't subscribe to that thinking. I never have. You're and, a terrible Mormon. No offense. <laughs> but, uh, and I also don't take things literally. Um, I've, I told my husband when we got, or before rather, when we uh, were dating that I have a primary testimony and I'm okay with that. And I had no desire to really know the gospel. Like he's a scriptorian and I had no desire for that. Um, maybe subconsciously, who knows, but um, I've been comfortable with that. And that's where I like to live and stay because the good that I take is family and do, and I believe there is certainly right and wrong. And I believe, especially in my field that there are many things that are toxic and addictive and that just steering clear of them is um is smart and it's effective and and so that really uh speaks to me um i like the organization of the church i like uh that it is organized and that there is a place for uh women to uh, lean on each other as well as the men to lean on each other. And again, if it's done, in my opinion, the right way, I think Relief Society can be amazing and it can be empowering. And um, when I was Relief Society president, that was my focus and uh, that we weren't just uh, bystanders in this church, but that we were impactful and needed and necessary. And that's the message that I've chosen to hear. And, uh, I've, and I don't feel minimized or marginalized. Um, I feel valued. But again, I think that also speaks to my personality and my sense of self and how I filter uh, things around me. So just like people that don't really interact with me at church, I don't personalize that. Um, 
I'm a strong personality. And I think that it would happen anywhere that people wouldn't necessarily always want to interact with me because I challenged them and I challenged their thinking and I'm okay with that. Um, how is I, that being, I just understand how it's being part of a community when people won't interact with you. And I'm not saying that they aren't, that they won't. I'm saying that I've not sought them out and I don't think that they've sought me out. And I have accountability in that as well. Um, if I felt then, you know, I've, I'm fine in primary and I like going to church and doing two hours with the kiddos and I feel fine with that. My little boy likes sunbeams and that's great. Um, and we went to the ward uh, breakfast and I felt people came up to me and spoke. And again, because there was an opportunity, I wasn't just shuttling myself to primary. And um, I have a few friends in the ward, but I'm certainly not... Um, in the, the clique, because there, we all know women and cliques, and there certainly is in our ward, and I'm not part of that, and I'm okay with that, because I don't have the expectation that uh, that has anything to do with the church. I think that has to do with women. Is there, <clears throat> is there anything that would uh, be kind of uh, over the, your threshold of staying in the church that the church could do? or that you can learn about the church? Of course, any kind of sexual misconduct that's, and we're hearing all of these things now and how the church is uh, supposedly has whitewashed or has targeted victims. And it's so hard because then you talk to someone else who's a state president or someone else that's a bishop and their experience is totally different. And I think that's one of the issues with the church is that there is these men who their day job could be an accountant or it could be a doctor or it could just be a construction worker. They're in, in charge of people's well-being and not and it should just be their spiritual well-being, but they've extended themselves to their emotional well-being and their mental health, you know, and it's not appropriate. And so I think that's where the issues arrive when arise is when these uh, men are superseding their position. And that's what I think has happened. And so it's hard for me to say that's the church when it's individual men acting, I think out of their scope. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh yeah. They're way out of their depth. Yeah. Right. And it's allowed, but it's, I, I really see a separate between the Lord and the church. And in that, I don't know that the Lord would be, in my, my Lord, my God, uh, would be super pleased with how a lot of things are happening with, you know, uh, the, the Mormons and our increased suicide rate in young, uh, gay members and in the destruction that the stands, um, for these members have taken on the family and all of that. I don't know that he's, my God doesn't support that. And my husband does say that my God is different than a Mormon God. And, um, and that might be true. 
but I feel back to your question. I don't know. You're on my screen. I'm not sure quite who you are. Uh, Glenn, uh, back to your question that the takeaway and what's important for me is the sense of community. It's my tribe. It's my culture. It's, um, it's, it sounds, it's, you know, as I've been listening to you talk about it, it sounds like it's less about the people in the tribe because you recognize that there's all different sorts of people, but that there's like this common core set of values Mm -hmm. that for the most part is not all perfect, but for the most part, this is how you want to raise your kids. And this is how you want your life to be conforming to those values. And that you recognize that, um, maybe the reason behind these things isn't necessarily literal, but the effect is it keeps them from getting addicted to drugs. It keeps them from, you know, these, these, Things that otherwise, if they rush into too early, unprepared, could have a negative impact on their lives. That, that's kind of how I'm interpreting what you're yes. saying. Yes. And okay. I, that's absolutely right. And it's not just that. It's that we're all unified, I feel, in a common purpose of doing good. And like my right. husband said, going to Houston and helping, like you won't find better. I don't the yellow know. shirts helping. Yes. With yeah. Right. In his essay. Yeah. You well, they gotta, I, they gotta wear the yellow shirts. So everybody knows they're Mormon. And I think that's great. And I don't see anything wrong with that. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. It takes us a little bit off of it. In my opinion. Does it? Okay. Yeah. Cause it's like, we want to make sure everyone knows cause it's a proselyting tool. Everything is a proselyting tool. When you serve a mission, uh, the four hours of service that you're supposed to give every week back in from 93 to 95 when that was the rule of the mission was all about proselyting. It wasn't about just the service itself. It was always the mission president made it very clear <clears throat> that every time we were to serve, it was, it was, there was like a ulterior motive. And so the yellow shirts to me kind of exemplify that. <laughs> that mindset. But that doesn't mean that we don't want Mormons doing good. Yeah. Right. And I think that's what we're known for. At least that's what I hope we're known for um, is doing good. And I think that in my experience, Mormon does mean more good, apparently. (laughs) Okay. Um, Isn't that something that they like Joseph Smith reportedly said to somebody once that Mormon means more good. Oh, I don't know. Did you guys not hear that? I've never heard that. I've never heard really? That. Okay. Listeners have to yeah. chime in on this one. My husband heard that. All right. Thank yeah, you. It's true. you. <laughs> right. Again, he's a scriptorian and right, I'm not. Right. <laughs> and so that's probably why this continues to work for me. Um, and I have had more of a shift to more nuance than I even thought I was um, through my husband's uh, studies. Studies. Um, yeah. And I. I don't see that as bad at all. That's awesome. Well, thank you for coming on, Cassandra. Oh, uh, thank you for speaking. Sitting sitting under the Randy spotlight. Yeah, I I should say real quickly, since I haven't said anything, that I I think you should be commended for just being as supportive as you are to your husband through this. Um, I've I've dealt with a lot of uh, mixed faith relationships. You know, my wife and I host and facilitated them for quite some time. And unfortunately I don't see quite the loving and support that I hear that, you know, you have with your husband and vice versa. I, I think you guys are set up for a long haul and I think that should be congratulated. So. 
That's fuck you, fuck yeah. Oh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I'm known for is, oh. is, is, is saying the F word. Okay. Well, I'm sure you're known for other things as well. No, that's the only thing I'm known for. <laughs> Here's my husband. Well, that, that looks was, entertaining. Yeah. You could only hear like one end of the conversation. I only heard what she said. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> She'll fill me in later. Yeah. There's yeah. Some symbolism there. She's kind of been along for the ride this, through this whole thing, including yeah. talking to the infants uh, yeah. at this point. So you're pretty fortunate there, Christian. I think I, I really Very am. Much. Yeah. Yeah. She's wonderful. Yeah. She really is. She's very smart. Yeah. Not many people mess with her. (laughs) (laughs) And we always get the best price on everything. (laughs) Oh, so she's part Jewish. Yeah. She she knows how to haggle. Yeah, Ephraim. (laughs) Tribe of Ephraim. That's right. That's my tribe. That's my tribe. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right, guys. Any final words? No, it was great. Thanks again, Christian. Thanks, Christian. Yeah, thank you guys. I really appreciate your time and the opportunity. This was actually a letter that I wrote to my stake president. Um, oh, is that what? Is that what? What you you did this for your stake president, and then yeah. you submitted it as an essay? Because I, I was going to ask you earlier about that. It it just slipped, slipped away. Wow, that's interesting. So yeah, your stake so president was? It, did you actually send it to him? I did. Yeah. Response. I haven't heard back. Well, let's get him on. Yeah, sure. we have a follow up. <laughs> conversation with him that'd be awesome yeah it would be <laughs> was, was i too was i too hard on the oaks opinion no, <laughs> here no. comes the randy regret no yeah. you're just you man yeah i, I feel no, very do. strongly about that yeah yeah that's that's understandable randy i don't know just when, when kids die you know, yeah i get really upset yeah absolutely and it's it's deserving. Something needs to happen. That's not okay. No, he oh. needs to die. <laughs> he will. We all will. We all, we all will. <laughs> dust yep. in the wind, man. All dust we are is dust in the wind. <laughs> There's your dust outro the music. <laughs> <laughs> play, play a clip from... Uh, Twirling from... around like a dust devil in the wind, man. <laughs> Good night, sweet friends. All right. All right. Talk to you guys later. Peace out. Later. Thanks, guys. Close my eyes Only for a moment And the moment's gone Hi, this is Christian from Utah And I'm one of those fabulous homosexuals That's not in the LDS church I used to be, but Elder Bednar kicked me out Sad face You can comment on this episode on the website infantsonthrones.com and if you really like what you hear give the quorum a 5 star rating and write a short review on iTunes too I did anyone for the closing prayer So I'll, I wasn't sure if I was going to share this, but Tom was there. And, and know, this can I, be the episode where I finally play that song that you sent me. Yeah, sure. I never said I'd 